Welcome to episode 35 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Greg Faxon, consultant, accomplished Spartan racer, blogger, and positive psychology enthusiast. In this episode, Greg explores what it means to live deliberately. He explains his background in obstacle racing as a natural transition from his years of high school and collegiate wrestling. Greg found obstacle racing while in his undergrad at Wesleyan and has had success at Spartan racing, competing in the Spartan World Championships in 2013. He discusses his training and what he thinks about when racing. Greg then explores interesting phenomena within positive psychology and how this interacts with his work as a marketing consultant for Hawk Partners. Lastly, Greg discusses mentors who have inspired him and what he is looking forward to in 2014. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Greg, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Julia. What does it mean to live deliberately? All right, so living deliberately to me just means doing things on purpose. So so a little story I could open with, if you don't mind, that I've been thinking about a lot recently is that, so when I was my freshman, after my freshman year of college, I did an adventure race, and you probably know what those are, but I don't do them as much anymore, but it's usually orienteering, so you have a map and a compass, and you have multiple events, so you can have running, um or canoeing or swimming and the whole time you got to reach these different checkpoints so um so we we get up it's four in the morning it's pitch black you can basically only the stars are lighting stuff up and it had rained all the night before so we knew it was going to be really muddy and we kind of get the map from the course directors and we get ready to go and we the gun goes off you know everyone runs off into the woods and we kind of follow people, and then everyone spreads out eventually, and they're going after their own checkpoint. So we look at the map, and we're like, okay, we got to figure this out. Sort of where are we at? And we look at the compass, and so we think we know where we are. We think we know where the checkpoint is, and we start going, and we're going for like 20 minutes or something, and we still, we're like, I have no idea where this thing is. Like, we think we're going the right way, but we're just not really ending up where we thought we were going to be, and... So we were like looking at it, we're like, where are we? And then what we didn't know was that my friend had a camelback backpack and it had like one of those magnets that you kind of secures the nozzle. And the compass was right next to the right next to the nozzle. And we didn't really think about it, but what we didn't know was that it reversed the compass completely. So we had spent that whole time basically going in the wrong direction. And so that's something I've been thinking about a lot because I've been talking to people in our generation. Um, it's like we're called millennials. Um, and there's been a lot of like nasty news articles written about us recently, I think. Like we don't have any, like we're like going back in with our parents or like we don't feel like we have to get real jobs. But I see it kind of in a different way and is that like I think that the, we've, a lot of us have kind of lost touch with exactly sort of like I guess you could say our true north not to be like too cheesy about it but we've lost touch with sort of what we're good at um what we like to do and then kind of what the world needs from us and so we've gone a lot of us I know I have kind of gone through all the steps that we've been told to do um but we're not really ending up exactly where we want to be or where we expect it to be and as someone who graduated early and then kind of got into the world and it's like, oh, this isn't really what I expected it to be, even though I did all the things that I thought I was going in the right direction. And 
So that's a long, a long-winded way of saying to me, living deliberately just means understanding as best you can sort of where you are, where you want to go, and how you can get there, and making decisions in your life based on that and really doing it on purpose. Was there a switch that ever happened in your life where you felt like you weren't living deliberately and then you had this realization that you wanted to live deliberately and was there a moment you found your true north? I think there I think it comes kind of in little moments. Uh, I think it's it's over simplifying to say that like I think all of us at any given time kind of are wandering and that's fine. You don't know exactly where you are, exactly where you're going. Um but I think there was a point where I wasn't even kind of aware at all. I think it was actually right actually during that adventure race, I think was actually pretty formative because I was a wrestler all through high school. I was very competitive. I was an All-American. And that was great, but I, that was it, basically. So if you talk to anyone in high school, um, you know, I, was, I kind of came off as really abrasive because I was how kind of isolate myself. And I didn't want to be that way, but it was just because I was pursuing a goal um, so hard. And so then I did wrestling for one more year, my freshman year in college. And I think that's a time where I really felt lost and disoriented because I was working very hard, but I wasn't number one, getting the payoff that I really wanted. And two, I just wasn't like happy. So I was, I was doing what I needed to be to be, to be successful, excuse me, but I wasn't really enjoying my time. And so I quit right before, for that adventure race, I quit that, uh, after that season in the summer, and um, that was a time for me of really figuring out. Okay, well, if this isn't working, then like, what can you line up that might work better? Mm. When did you find Spartan Racing? I know you've had success in it at the Spartan Worlds in 2013. You placed 28th out of 4,704 people, which is really impressive for being so new to the sport. So. Tell listeners a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so again, right around the same time. This is kind of um, a lot of things happen at once. Um, so I stopped wrestling for a few months after wrestling. I, I still trained very hard because that's just, you're kind of used to it. You're kind of in the, in the habit of doing it as an athlete. But I didn't have a competitive outlet anymore. I didn't really have that fire because I didn't have anything I was training for. Um, and I kind of missed that. So I don't know exactly when I stumbled upon the website, but as soon as I saw it, I don't know if you, if anyone goes to the website, all your listeners should consider racing because I think it's really fun to have a blast. But you go to the website and it's like all flames and these guys like not wearing shirts and it's like, it seems really intense. And that it kind of was like spoke right to me. Like it just spoke right uh, to kind of like really deep inside me. I was like, this seems really awesome. I got to try this out. So I registered for a race that summer, so maybe 2010 uh, or 2011, um, that was kind of my first Spartan races after I had stopped wrestling, and I just entered an, an open heat. They, what they do is they have elite heats at 8 a.m. for the people who are going to, who want to win it or want to be competitive, and then it's just open heats the rest of the day, and I actually won that open heat, so I was like, okay, I have some skill at this, and I was like, I really want to try, see how I would stack up um, in the elite race. And how did you train for it? How did you decide what to train? And for people who don't know what a Spartan race is, explain a little bit about how it goes down. Sure. So Spartan racing is, 
uh, just the most fun that you'll ever have. Like, I, it's hard for me to run on the road anymore or to not, or to just purely run. I mean, I know there's nothing wrong with, like, pure running, but for me, I have, if you have, you ever do anything other than running, then you'll probably find that you really enjoy Spartan racing. So, so for someone like you who is really good at yoga, you have that cross-train background, so you have some strength and balance, um, you would be really good at Spartan racing. So it's, it's basically trail running, but with it kind of interspersed in there every quarter mile or so is an obstacle that uses balance or strength or something like that. So it could be climbing rope. It could just be as simple as you're running and you climb over a wall or jump over some water, or it could be as complex as you know, you're jumping from log to log, or you're, they have a thing called a Hercules hoist where it's, it's like a rope that's over a pulley and then on the other side it's kind of like a bucket with cement, so you got to pull it up to the top. Um, and so it kind of works all, it kind of every system. So to answer your question, the, the first mistake I made when I got into it is I just trained like I did when I was wrestling. So I was doing a lot of power lifting, and I was doing a lot of short bursts, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wasn't really, I think I overemphasized the strength aspect, which probably won't be as much of a problem for your listeners because they're going to be runners. But um, I think the key is to find, you've got to realize that it's kind of right in the middle. It's the balance of strength and endurance. So if you tend towards one or the other, you're going to want to train that way. So for me, it was strength and I got out there and I'm on the hills and I was like gassing, you know what I mean? Like I was dying. So uh, not that I hadn't been running, but that was kind of not what I focused on. So the the way that I started training when I started doing it right was never doing just one or the other. So I stopped going on doing pure runs or track workouts, and then the next day doing you know heavy squats. I would just do a run and then drop down ten or twenty burpees, run a little more you know, get on like a tree branch or a pull-up bar, do some pull-ups. Because if you can't do the running after you're taxed out strength-wise, you're not going to be good. And if you can't do the strength when you're aerobically maxed out, you're going to crash that way too. So you kind of want to be like at this even keel where you're going through the obstacles, but you're not going too hard and you're running, but you're not going too hard. And did you make a pretty specific training program for yourself building up to the worlds? Um... You know, I, I go back and forth. I go through phases where I'm really, I go through phases where I'm really um, regimented in my training and I like to track everything. I mean, back when I was wrestling, I wrote down everything I ate for five years almost. Um, and I would, you know, plan all my workouts out. I think I've gotten actually away from that. It's almost, I don't know if you've noticed this maybe with yoga, but when you're mastering any skill, at first, it's like you, it's like unconscious incompetence. I don't know if you know of these like four levels, but it's like you don't know what you don't know even. So you're just, the people go to the gym and they're kind of just messing around and they go home. And then there's um, con conscious incompetence. So then like you kind of know that you don't know the thing um, and you're starting to try to learn about it more. And then the next level is you're conscious and you're competent. So you're competent at it, but you really have to think through the training. You have to think through the things. So like, all right, I'm going to do this first, this second, this time I'm going to plan stuff out. And then the top level is kind of unconscious competence where you can do the thing you don't really have to think about it. 
So I went through a while where I knew nothing about sort of the science of fitness, and then I had to go through a phase where I really planned everything out to make sure I was hitting it. And then I think now I'm in a phase where I kind of understand the general principles, and I know what feels right. Um, so I don't really want to be contained to a program because that can have its own, I guess, drawbacks. So I'd rather just get out there and have fun. And especially with off-school racing, I mean, you're never going to be a different race every time. So it's better to just keep your body guessing and just do stuff randomly and be ready for whatever. So usually I just put my shoes on and kind of go out. We have Rock Creek Park here in D.C. So I just explore. I'll go up to the gym and I'll, you know, I'll just turn the treadmill on an incline and get some weights together and kind of try to do both. That's awesome. Are you training for anything in particular right now? So my first race is in May, so it's next month. Uh, and it's, it's called the Savage Race, and it's just another brand of obstacle racing. Uh, so the, the top three obstacle race brands right now in terms of participation are Spartan Racing, Tough Mudder, and Warrior Dash. So if people are thinking about a conversation, I have a lot of people are like, kind of, which race should I sign up for? Um, so Spartan Race is that, like, really, like, for the competitive people. Even the open heats, it's more like you've got to have kind of a a desire to be ranked and be and know your time. If that's something that you're interested in, Spartan Race is really good. And they tend to have the toughest races. Um, then Tough Mudder is a similar concept. It's I think it has a little more brand awareness. Usually when I explain off racing people, they're like, oh, Tough Mudder. Um, and I think especially in our demographic. Uh, and that's more of a like get your friends together, kind of get a team together and go through it. They don't use timing chips, um, so you're not going to know your time or where you rank. Um, it's more of just the do it for the experience. And then Warrior Dash is, I guess, sort of the lowest tier in terms of difficulty or competitiveness, where that's really just like go, do it, have fun, have a beer, and, and just enjoy yourself. So you kind of can decide. And then within those, you have different distances. So, I mean, Spartan Race has a 3-mile, an 8-mile, and a 13-mile. So it's not to say that one is harder than the other. You know, like you could do a 3-mile and just be gunning it. Or you can do a 13-mile and be, go a little bit slower. And what is Savage? Savage Race is, it's, they're, all, they're all pretty much similar. Um, Savage Race is just another brand. I think it's six to eight miles. All their races are, or this race that I'm doing is six to eight miles. And um, it's competitive. I, I think they do placings. They may or may not do cash prizes. But it's, I think it's a good one to start out with because... Like the Spartan race is really what I want to be competitive in um, for me. So it's nice to have start out for the season with a race that's different. Great. And is that going to be in Washington, D.C. or elsewhere? Yes, outside. It's in Maryland. Nice. So close by. Yeah, nearby. What do you think about run racing? Mm. Well, that's, that's something I've actually been thinking about recently because I train with music and it's really different racing where you don't have your music. Um, it feels it feels totally different. I actually have been thinking maybe I could go on more runs without music to get used to it, to simulate that a little bit. But I think that when you're really pushing, you're really not thinking about that much. That's why I love... That's why I love athletics in general is because it's probably the easiest way for me to get into a flow-type state. 
Um, I love yoga too, but for me, it's I'm the type of person who really likes to go fast and go hard, and so it's, it takes longer for me to get into a flow with yoga. Um, it's a little bit more. It takes a little bit more effort versus if you're giving me an 80 pound sandbag and telling me to go up this black diamond hill. It's like it's not going to be that easy to think about anything else except like my glutes and my quads. Tell listeners about your interest in positive psychology. When did it start and what concepts within positive psychology are really inspiring you right now? Mm. So I probably got introduced to positive psychology sophomore-ish year of college. Uh, and it was probably through something like a TED Talk Um so it, I think probably the first concept that I learned was just about flow, which I think started a long time ago in sports psychology. It's interesting because a lot of the positive psychology things are really just sports psychology that they're bringing to sort of the masses. Um, but just that idea of flow, um, you know, probably even before that, when I was wrestling, I think there was a lot of positive psychology in there. Because when I started off as a wrestler, I was... I think I would watch all these movies. I like I would watch Rocky, and he would be like out, and it would be like the grind of it, and it would be this whole drama. And he was like working out really hard, and he had, he was miserable, but he was like performing still. And I was like, oh, I guess that's how you do it as like an athlete if you want to be successful. So I would get really pumped up before matches. I try to be all surly and like get really, really, really amped up because yeah, I don't know if you ever seen sort of the arousal curve where it's a kind of a bell curve and at that peak it's kind of your ideal where you're you're aroused but you're not overly aroused you don't fall off into this stress and then your performance starts to suffer so it's, it's sort of a bell curve but I think that we're taught that it's more of a line so it's we're taught that it's the more fired up you get the better you're going to perform and that's really not true and I think especially for me my optimal point is way back so I actually had to learn to relax myself a lot before matches because early on when I was just trying to get fired up, I would get too fired up. And especially in wrestling, you need to be open to opportunities and stress actually narrows your vision. So for me, it would like, I'd be in tunnel vision when I was wrestling and if something didn't work, I would relax myself and just, I would listen to, you know, like happier music and like get really, really loose before a match. And that was kind of the progression that I went through. And I think some of that was informed by positive psychology. I think that once I recognized that there was a shift from when I became happier, I performed better. Um, I kind of realized that that was probably applicable to things outside wrestling. So like pursuing this idea of success so doggedly and just like being very, uh, I don't know, like kind of wanting to go it alone. I don't know if you've ever read the book Into the Wild. Um, or watch the movie. Yes. I haven't read the book. I, I was assigned the book. I kind of skimmed the book, and then I read the. I watched the movie, and I was like, "Oh, you should have read the book because this is actually really awesome." But um, like that whole story really resonated with me because Chris McCandless, he he's he does some things right in that he's kind of like sees the matrix, like he sees all the things that were kind of an illusion around him. But the thing that he does wrong is kind of does this rugged individual afraid to be uncomfortable, but um, like, I think that discomfort actually meant something. It meant he should have been surrounding himself with more people. And obviously, at the end of it, he, you know, right, he scrawls that thing in his bus that's like happiness 
you know, it's basically meaningless unless it's shared with other people. And that's the biggest concept in, in positive psychology. I mean, if there's one takeaway um, that we have definitively from positive psych, it's that the people with the really strong relationships are going to be happier than the people who don't have it, you know, more than money, more than, you know, all these other factors that we can measure. And so I think that that, you know, that's something that I was exposed to, you know, when I was going my, with my transition away from wrestling, which was, it didn't have to be, but for me was a really closed off kind of like hermit like experience. And yeah. And your work in consulting now, you work for Hawk Partners. How does that concept of relation work into your consulting? Mm. Yeah, so to kind of, I, I guess there's a fringe movement, and I think it's about to take hold, but it's not the traditional what marketers have learned, um, which is moving towards saying that, you're, saying that your product or service solves really an urgent need to saying this could actually make you, this could actually make your life better. Um, and so a lot of positive psychology, I think, is rubbed off on marketing. So there's some products that, like, let's be honest, they're not actually going to make you happier. Um, they might give you that quick hit, but they're not really going to, you know, stuff usually doesn't make the difference. But, um, but you know, one thing, one finding from positive psychology is that experiences, they, they wear off a lot slower. So whereas you could get that, um, you could get that, whatever car or like the, you get the stuff, you get the iPad. Um, but like if you have an experience, so, so for example, Spartan race is a brand. Like if you have an experience that's going to last for a lot longer, if you say marketing, like people think of it negatively because they think of it as uh, you're selling me something I don't need. And I, my hope is that I was actually, I was at a conference in New York a couple weeks ago and at Fordham University they have the Center for Positive Marketing and that's what they're all about and so there were a lot of speakers talking about how um, if marketing can actually focus on making people's lives better um, then it kind of benefits everyone. Beautiful. Who would you consider one of your biggest mentors or personal teachers? Mm. Well, the person who came to mind first um, is Adam Holland. I don't, do you know Adam Holland? He was a crew coach and a wrestling coach at um, at Wesley. Sorry, not at Wesley at BBN. So at, at high school, and he was an Olympic rower. Uh, he's a really intense guy. He's like he's a really intense guy. Speaking of living deliberately, Adam Holland. Everything that is in his life is intentionally. Um, was intentionally put there, um, and the things that he exposes himself day to day with are very intentional. He doesn't let things just wash over him. Um, so I think at a time in in my life with with wrestling, when I was learning how the things that you do day to day are going to influence the results you get, he really hammered that home. Um, yeah. Who would be one person, living or dead, that you have not met that you would like to meet? Hmm. I think... I think one person I, I would like to meet a lot is Seth Godin, and he's a marketer. He's kind of like as a marketing blogger. I don't know if you've heard of him at all, but um, it's... 
it's one of those situations where he's, you know, he has a very, very popular blog. He writes books, and they're kind of about marketing, but they're kind of not too. So you're like you're reading it, and you think like, oh, he's actually talking about bigger stuff than this. And he's just had an ability to, uh, like, an attract an audience that believes exactly what he believes, and then not worry about anyone else. Um, so, and that's something that I'm really trying to cultivate. I think that. Like a lot of us are wired to be everything for everyone and we end up being nothing for anyone because we didn't, you know, because we didn't choose, we didn't like kind of put a stake in the ground and say, this is what I stand for. And if you stand for it, like, great, we're going to do this thing. And if it's not what you're about, then that it, we, I didn't make it for you. Um, and I think especially now, you know, trying to build a platform online that's even more important because there's so much noise out there there's so much out there that um you just get lost in the shuffle if you're trying to do everything um and i think that that is really applicable day to day i think like i know that starting my website and starting to talk about the things i want to talk about it's been more than like it's really gotten me worked up i don't know if you've had this experience but it should just be like, oh, I'm blogging occasionally. You know what I mean? Like, I'm writing down my things. I'll shoot them out to Facebook friends. I'll build a newsletter. But it's almost become, like, a spiritual transformation, which is really weird that it would be. And I think it's because I've been forced to kind of look inward into the things that, I'm, the things that I believe, the things that I don't believe, and choose, like, I guess really be deliberate about myself. So it's gone beyond just, like, personal branding online and become – all right, what are you really interested in pursuing for the next few years? What do you want to focus on? So that was my next question. What's ahead for you in 2014? So, oh man, it's a crazy time. A lot is, a lot's going on. I, I sort of see my life in four main chunks. And one is the sort of the health chunk with training. And one is uh, career. And then another social and then the, the final is just kind of personal and growth on that aspect. And it's a really intense time because I'm trying to keep all of the balls in the air right now. And it's sometimes you, you focus on one and kind of you drop one. Um, but this next phase, I think, is going to become a little bit more about racing and training. My season runs from spring to fall. So I have, I've kind of been out of it. Um, so yeah, I think that obstacle racing is going to be a big focus. I think that trying to continue to build sort of an audience um, with my own blog is going to be uh, paramount. It's going to be huge. And then just enjoying where I'm at too, you know, like enjoying the city where I am and trying to continue to meet more people and enjoying time with Emma and, you know, going back to Wesleyan occasionally and seeing people there and seeing how people are doing. Great. It sounds like you have a beautiful summer and fall ahead of you. Yeah. To close up our interview, I have a few either-or questions. Hit me. Apples or oranges? Oranges. Early bird or night owl? Oh, early bird, but not by choice. Smoothies or juices? Smoothies, definitely. Smoothies or juices? Definitely smoothies. Definitely smoothies. Mountains or oceans? Mountains. Mountains. 
Thank you, Greg, for sharing your story, your thoughts on the Running on Om podcast. I hope listeners will check out your blog, Live Deliberately, at gregfaxon.com. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. This was awesome. And if anyone, you know, listening wants to ask a question or has a comment, just my email's right up there. So I love hearing from people and hearing sort of what are the frustrations that people are having um, because the main, my main goal is just trying to, I'm trying to learn. I'm right here along with people. So I'm trying to learn and kind of go through that process with everyone. Om. Thanks for listening to episode 35 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Greg Faxon. Consultant, accomplished Spartan racer, blogger, and positive psychology enthusiast. Check out runningonohm.com for links to Greg's sites. If you would like to help others find the Running on Ohm podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.